This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to this edition of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we usually explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition, but not this week, because today is Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day the anniversary of that unbelievably miraculous and wondrous day 53 years ago when the divided city of Jerusalem once again became the unified city of Jerusalem, with sovereignty over it going to the Jewish people for the first time in 1900 years. Today's topic, therefore, is the status of Jerusalem, the demonizing of Israel, and what we need to do about both. Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, is not just another day on the Jewish calendar. It's the anniversary of the day when the words of the psalmist became not just an expression of hope, but a glorious reality. Jerusalem built up a city knit together. The city was knit together on June 7, 1967, corresponding to the 28th day of the month of Iyar in the year 5727. Today is the 28th day of the Iyar 5780. Exactly 1,900 years before that day in 1967, in the year 67, Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem, such as it was by then, came under its final attack from the Romans. It would take the Romans three years to do so, but they eventually conquered the city, burned the temple to the ground, and killed anyone who got in their way. That was then, and this is now. The promise that we would be restored to our land is one we find, among other places, in last Shabbat's Torah reading. Said God, at the end of all the horrible tragedies that we would suffer in exile, quote, and I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land, unquote. By remembering the covenant with our founding fathers, God meant that we would return to the land, and that the land would prosper once again. That promise was fulfilled in part 72 years ago. 53 years ago today, with the capture of Jerusalem on the 28th day of E.R. 5727, that promise was marked paid in full. Jerusalem was ours once again, and I do mean ours. Jerusalem just isn't the capital of a political entity called the State of Israel. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish people, just like Vatican City is the capital for all Catholics, or Mecca and Medina for all Muslims. We may not be citizens of the state of Israel, but we are nevertheless Am Yisrael, the people Israel. In the words of David Ben-Gurion, no city in the world, not even Athens or Rome, ever played as great a role in the life of a nation for so long a time as Jerusalem has done in the life of the Jewish people. As the Jewish people, the people Israel, Am Yisrael, we prayed and continue to pray for Jerusalem. Many of us begin the grace after meals by quoting the words of the psalmist, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, sat and wept as we thought of Zion. In Hasidic and Sephardi synagogues on Shabbat and festival days, we recite these words, Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim, yishlayu ohavayach. Pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be at peace. May there be well-being within your ramparts, peace in your citadels. For the sake of my kin and friends, I pray for your well-being. Laman beit Adonai Eloheinu tovlach. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I seek your good. When we end the Passover Seder each year, and at many other times during the year, we say, next year in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is ours. It belongs to all the Jewish people, not just those living in the state of Israel. Nothing, nothing can ever lodge us from Jerusalem again. For the sake of Zion, said the prophet Isaiah, I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem, I will not be still. As Isaiah said then, I say now, for the sake of Jerusalem, I will not be silent. Jerusalem is ours. It will remain ours, 
no one should ever make the mistake of thinking otherwise. The Arab world, however, especially the Palestinian part of that world, does make that mistake, as do so many nations around the world. Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem is held up by them as the main reason why the peace process can't move forward. When the United States formally recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and moved its embassy there from Tel Aviv, that only made matters worse because that eliminated any chance that the United States could play the role of honest broker in the eyes of the Palestinians. They now prefer European intermediaries. And for good reason. The Europeans side with the Palestinians in seeing the Israelis as the ones who don't want peace. And many especially resent the notion that Jerusalem is in Jewish hands. When the United Nations voted to create the State of Israel, it did not include Jerusalem. Rather, it declared Jerusalem to be an international city under international sovereignty. The only reason why that never happened is because seven Arab states invaded the land and the UN's partition plan was ripped to shreds. Israel, for its part, often acts as if it was true that its intransigence is why the peace process can't move forward. Right now, it's gotten serious about threats to annex parts of the West Bank. We've heard that from Israel for many, many years now, but it's become more of a possibility today than ever before because of the power-sharing agreement entered into last month by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Blue and White Party leader Benny Gantz. Annexation is part of the blueprint for the new government that was sworn in only a few days ago. While it's not clear that Israel actually would ever go ahead with annexation, just the fact that it's being seriously talked about by Israel today is raising alarms throughout most of the world. On Tuesday, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority leader, canceled all of the existing agreements the PA had with Israel, including most significantly security coordination between the IDF and the PA's security forces. There will no longer be any intelligence sharing, no more joint counterterrorism efforts, no more of the Palestinian forces keeping their distance during Israeli military raids into PA territory. No more safe retrieval of troublemaking Israelis. And no more riot control. In the rest of the world, warnings to Israel abound. Last week, for example, King Abdullah warned Israel that it was headed for what he called a massive conflict with Jordan. There have been warnings coming from officials at the UN, from Canada, from Saudi Arabia, from the United Arab Emirates. The Arab League issued its own warning to Israel. Some members of the European Union reportedly are considering imposing some form of sanctions on Israel, including freezing Israel out of joint scientific and educational projects. I happen to think that annexation is a dangerous and potentially horrific decision. But what everyone, at least in Europe and elsewhere, including Canada, seems to ignore is that it takes two sides to make peace. And there's no one on the other side of the table for Israel to talk to, much less to make peace with. Most of the world seems to think that the Palestinian leadership, from Mahmoud Abbas and company on the West Bank to Hamas and Gaza, are the ones who want peace, but Israeli intransigence keeps them from achieving it. It's at the heart of the so-called BDS movement, BDS standing for Boycotts, Divestment, and Sanctions, a movement that's very active on college campuses here in the United States and elsewhere, which has influenced many young Jews into turning their backs on Israel. But it's not true. It's not even close to being true. The record is so very clear on this, but it's a record we don't often hear about, even from some politicians in this country, and a record that too often goes unreported in the media. Hamas certainly doesn't want peace. It wants all Jews dead. Not just Israeli Jews, all Jews. Its charter says as much. It states Muslims are obligated, obligated, mind you, to, quote, fight Jews and kill them, unquote. There's nothing ambiguous about those words. Muslims are obligated, says Hamas, to fight Jews and kill them. 
As for Abbas and the PA, they say one thing in English and French and quite another in Arabic. Their actions also speak for them, often even louder than their words. A little over a year ago, for example, on April 30th, 2019, a Lebanese newspaper reported that Saudi Arabia had made Abbas an amazing offer. It would give the PA $10 billion in aid over 10 years if he'd agree to a peace plan with Israel. Abbas didn't hesitate to respond. He quickly and summarily rejected the offer. The original Palestinian covenant called for Israel's destruction and for a rejection of any peace agreement with it. Supposedly, President Clinton got the late Yasser Arafat to agree to remove all of those hostile clauses from the Palestinian covenant. In a letter to Clinton, Arafat said those clauses had been removed. Arafat lied in 1996, for example, an internal PLO document stated that no changes whatsoever were made to it. That's a direct quote. No changes whatsoever were made to the Palestinian Covenant. In 1998, the head of the Palestine National Council's legal committee confirmed to the Associated Press that no change was made. And the United Nations Information System on the Question of Palestine also confirmed this. Here's what it had to say. Quote, the PLO Executive Committee meeting in Ramallah took no action on amending articles in the Palestinian Charter, which Israel views as seeking its destruction, unquote. In 2009, PLO officials made clear that the Palestinian covenant would remain unchanged. Arafat lied. And from the time he took over after Arafat's death, Abbas has never made any effort to convince anyone in the government he leads to amend the Charter. It still calls for Israel's destruction, and it still calls for a rejection of any peace agreement with Israel. And then there's this. In 2018, Abbas delivered a two-hour anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, and anti-U.S. rant. Among other things, he declared that Zionism was a European colonial project dating back to Oliver Cromwell's day, no less, and that it had nothing to do with Judaism. As if that wasn't bizarre enough, he also insisted in that rant that the Zionists cooperated with the Nazis. Then there's the fact that Abbas often praises the people who commit suicide bombings against Israelis and against Jews outside Israel. He calls them martyrs, by the way. Here's one example. It's been nearly two decades since the suicide bombing of the Sabaro pizza shop in Jerusalem. Seven children and eight adults were killed in that terror attack, and 130 people were wounded. So far, the PA has paid over $900,000 in monthly installments to the seven terrorists who helped orchestrate that attack and to the suicide bomber's family. Abbas and the PA also honored these murderers by naming schools, streets, and entertainment centers after them. The PA's television channel broadcasts hateful programming to children. There are plenty of examples of that, so little children in the West Bank and Gaza are being taught to hate Jews, Israelis in particular. Abbas is proficient in doublespeak, to be sure, but the late Yasser Arafat was the master of it. His mantra, in Arabic only, was, Today the West Bank, tomorrow all of Palestine. And he even shaped his headdress, his keffiyeh, in the shape of a map representing that pledge. In 2000, at a summit hosted by President Clinton, Ehud Barak, who was Israel's prime minister at the time, agreed to give up 96% of the West Bank, as well as control of the Temple Mount, but Arafat rejected it. For one thing, while it gave the PA part of Jerusalem for its capital, it didn't give it all of Jerusalem. Abbas feels the same way. Does any of this sound as though Abbas, the PA, and Hamas really are legitimate partners for peace with Israel? Is there any reason why Israel should not be suspicious of the Palestinians? 
The world ignores all that, and neither Bibi Netanyahu nor President Trump help the situation much with their rhetoric. But we dare not lose sight of the truth. As long as there remains no one on the Palestinian side willing, truly willing, in Arabic as well as in English and French, as long as there remains no one on the Palestinian side truly willing to make peace with Israel, we need to make our voices heard every time someone claims that it's all Israel's fault. And we also need to teach that to our college-bound youth because they're going to be subjected to the falsehoods and they need to be able to counter lies with truth. Here is a truth. The United Nations on November 29, 1947, voted to partition Palestine into two separate states, one Jewish and one Arab. The Arab nations rejected that. And from 1949 until 1967, they refused to allow a Palestinian Arab state to be created. Jordan occupied the West Bank. Egypt occupied Gaza. Syria occupied the Golan Heights. They could have had a state of Palestine during all those 19 years, but they refused to allow its creation. That's the truth. No one talks about that these days either. It's not Israel that prevented the creation of a Palestinian state. It was the Arabs themselves who prevented it. It's not Israel that shoved Palestinians into refugee camps. It was the Arabs themselves who did that. It's not all Israel's fault. It never was. God willing, it never will be Bibi's bluster notwithstanding. To say it's Israel's fault is a big lie. And each time we hear it, whether on the news or from certain Democratic office holders, including Bernie Sanders, or from one opinion maker or another, we need to raise our voices in protest. And while we're at it, let's remember that there's a lot about Israel to be proud of because of what Israel contributes to this world of ours. And I don't just mean ways. Right now, Israeli scientists and researchers are among the leaders in trying to bring COVID-19 under control, although that doesn't make the news reports either. For example, earlier this month, Israeli researchers announced that they'd identified an antibody that actually neutralizes even aggressive COVID-19 cases. The antibody would treat the disease, but it's not a vaccine. On the other hand, earlier this week, Israeli researchers also announced that they'd successfully completed tests of a COVID-19 vaccine on rodents. They're going to the next phase, testing the vaccine on other animals before they begin human testing. In 2018, researchers at the Technion developed a way to do certain types of surgery, orthodontics especially, without using a scalpel. They found a way to replace the knife with natural biological materials, an enzyme specifically. A drug produced by an Israeli company called CPI-613 has shown in clinical trials that it can basically starve pancreatic cancer cells. It's very possible that the FDA will fast-track the drug's approval in the fall or winter of this year, which would be great news because pancreatic cancer is on a fast track of its own and is expected to be the second major cause of cancer deaths in the United States by 2030. The 613 in the name, by the way, represents the 613 mitzvot in the Torah, according to the company. Many of the 30 million people suffering from diseases of the cornea, the second leading cause of blindness worldwide, will be able to get their sight back because Israel in 2017 developed an artificial cornea. Israeli researchers even found a way to get the body to regenerate bone. Israel is all too often demonized. Some even wish it would disappear. But no one seems to pay attention to what Israel truly means to the world. It's our job to get them to pay attention. Israel does a lot of good for this world in so many ways in the areas of medicine and technology and agriculture especially. When disasters strike anywhere in the world, Israel is among the first to respond and respond significantly. 
We need to do all that we can to get that message across. They want to demonize Israel. We need to defend it because no one else will. And we need to defend the status of Jerusalem, even if it means that there can be no permanent peace with the Palestinians. From out of Zion shall come forth Torah, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Am Yisrael Chai. Long live the people of Israel. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you think about this and my other Keep the Faith podcasts. Go to www.shamai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, www.shamai.org, and email me, please. Shabbat Shalom, and stay safe.